I'm Christy Hemingway, host of Ed Curation, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Mike Schloff, the CEO of Maple Woodshop. Maple Woodshop is helping all children develop life skills through woodworking. So cool. You're going to absolutely just love this talk. And you're also going to want to start your own woodworking camp or introduce the program during the school day. So cool. Thanks for listening. And you got so much to learn today. By the way, it would be so really awesome if you would take the time to uh, share Teaching Learning Leading K-12 with a friend, with a neighbor, with a family member, you know, someone who may not have listened to it before. What do you think? Hmm? (laughs) That would be so cool. You're awesome. Enjoy the show. The intro and outro were created and performed by Brian K. Buffington. You can find more about Brian at briankbuffington.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for his newsletter. Thanks, Brian. Cool, huh? It's the Education Podcast, your favorite show. With lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Milletto. Mike Schloff created Maple Woodshop in 2016 to help all children develop life skills through woodworking. The company achieves this mission by providing a safe, portable, and easy-to-implement woodworking program to schools, out-of-school time programs, and camps nationwide. Mike, this is so cool to have you on today. Thanks for joining me, and say hi to everybody. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Stephen, for the opportunity to share our mission. Well, I'm glad you're here, and this is so cool. You know, I was telling you before we we started uh, recording that I grew up around a father who who fixed other people's damaged antiques and stuff like this, and it was the coolest thing because he every time he turned around, he had some new gadget or gizmo that he would use to help sand the wood just right, or to uh, you know to make something fit in or to carve actually um, where something was carved like a leg or something like this. So this is really cool and near to dear my heart. So uh, nice stuff. Uh, so I got to ask you, Mike, where, where did the original inspiration for Maple Woodshop come from? Well, uh, so the first uh, inkling of Maple Woodshop was in May of 2015. Uh, I had, uh, before that, growing up, I was your classic ADD kid. Uh, not good at sitting still, you know, was smart, but terrible at sitting still. Uh, no executive function, impulse control. So I spent a lot of elementary school in the hallway because it was the 1970s. And um, then uh, fast forward, I was fortunate enough to graduate high school, go to college. And uh, and my father gave me a book on the internet in 94. And I thought, this is great. So I spent 20 years uh, really being an internet pioneer, using this new technology to help solve problems. And then uh, in 2004, we bought our first house, couldn't afford a lot of repairs, and so learned to do things. Growing up, the one place I felt comfortable was in my dad's workshop, which in that case was a bicycle workshop. So I actually didn't learn woodworking from my father, but I learned mechanical things from my father and how to fix things. I learned, I broke a lot of things, then I started learning how to fix them, and uh, I had this confidence in my hands. So that 
confidence led me to have the confidence to make home repairs. And that confidence led me to actually enjoy woodworking with a really cheap, terrible Home Depot block uh, uh, plane. Uh, but that meditative act of rounding over a piece of oak to make a stair tread was very powerful. So that was 2004. Fast forward 11 years to 2015, a friend says, hey, we're going to throw a maker fair in our town. You like woodworking. You want to run a table? I said, sure. And I led this table and I'd never really taught kids before. Definitely never taught woodworking, but uh, kids were lined up for 45 minutes. And, and I realized how much they enjoyed it. I have a photo of the first kid who ever made a project with us. And he's got this gleam in his eye of pride and uh, joy and a little mania and it was really wonderful. It was very inspiring. Frankly, it was an epiphany for me because I realized I like working with my hands. I like mentoring. I like woodworking, I like helping kids develop. And, uh, and so I thought, wow, this is a way I could put everything together. In my then day job, I was the vice president at a large publishing company. And, you know, the only way I could use my hands was making PowerPoint presentations. So it was incredibly satisfying at this tactile level. And over the years, I've realized, I think people haven't changed. There's always been a people who have the wiring where they're very tactily engaged and that's how they learn. Uh, they're not good at sitting still. They're very smart, but they're not good at sitting still. So 2015, I had the idea. And then a year later at the same maker fair uh, in Maplewood, New Jersey, hence the name Maplewood Shop, uh, I launched Maplewood Shop. And we started teaching locally, uh, teaching parents, teaching adults. I engineered a crazy solutions to uh, allow us to work out of a daycare center after hours, including a telescoping, elevating table that could be a toddler table during the day and a woodworking table at night. Crazy inventions. And uh, along the way, I met a teacher from New York City who said, boy, I wish I could do this in my classroom. And that's when a few light bulbs went off. One was, as you said, our mission is to help all children develop life skills through woodworking. And we're evolving that mission to give kids early uh, career exposure uh, through tactile learning. So not just woodworking, but other trades. And uh, I realized, wow, if I could train teachers to use this program, we could have a much bigger impact. And so we developed a train the trainer model. Also, I realized if I could make this program portable, it could be used anywhere. That was the big, the big problems with woodworking or it's too expensive, takes too much room and it's too dangerous. So we basically solved for that by uh, only using hand tools, no power tools, only hand powered tools. Uh, I invented a workbench that goes across a school table. And I know that people are listening, not seeing, but Stephen, you can see behind me tables. And there are these workbenches that, that span uh, a rectangle and uh, allow a student to work on either side. And so that was the big innovation. That's what made it portable because it holds the wood safely and it can all live inside of a, a tool chest, which is like a, a wood shop on wheels. And uh, that combined with our curriculum and the train to trainer program. Now we're in about 120 schools and camps nationwide and growing. Nice. And I'm proud to say that we uh, were just endorsed by the Carpenters Union in our region, which is about seven states so that we can use their curriculum and uh, bring it into schools that don't that don't have a certified CTE teacher. So we're really trying to help as many kids uh, discover their potential 
their potential for high paying, high skill, high demand jobs, discover this facet within themselves that they have this wiring that isn't prized, frankly, in our current education system. Uh, and so we're helping the kids that might be thinking about dropping out as early as sixth grade uh, realize there is something for them. They can learn math. They can learn English. They will use these things in the real world. And uh, and should they choose, there's jobs out there that are, are going wanting and they don't need to take on student debt. So nice. <laughs> that's what we're all about. Yeah, it's such a cool mission, such a cool direction that you got going. What an awesome focus. I mean, you know, it's it's something else. It, it, first of all, you know, it's just you're working with wood. I mean, that's, that's and and tools. I mean, there's just something about that. It's like it's like walking into uh, name any big box store you want, uh, whether it's uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or any of the others that exists out there. Sorry, this show's not sponsored by either of those people. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, but the uh, but yeah, there's just something about you. You know, whether you know how to or not, you walk by the aisle where the wood is and the nails and all this stuff, and you know, all of a sudden the hammer's calling you. You know, it's like buy me, you know, you, right, you want right. to build something. You may not know right. how to, but you will soon. You know? <laughs> it's interesting, Stephen, you know, you, there woodworking used to be very normal. It used to be very common. People used to know how to fix things. And as a society, and I kind of admit I'm part of the problem because I spent 20 years developing web technology, <laughs> Sorry, <that's funny. laughs> we've, you know, as a society, we've lost our ability to, to be connected to the physical world. You know, so our program is all about the IRL, the, you know, in real life uh, opportunities. And it's, it's very purposefully low tech at the student facing side of it. In the back end, it's very high tech. We have a learning management system that we use. We use data, uh, but it's very purposefully meant to be a tactile experience. And, uh, and so to demystify the idea of woodworking to make it more accessible to more people again, by making it portable and safe and able to be implemented by a regular school teacher. Do you know, 90% of our teachers that we've trained have no background in woodworking. It's for the non, you know, certified teacher. And, and so we spend a lot of time showing them how to run a safe classroom, how to um, uh, learn how to use the tools, and some people that we train are not visual. They, they don't have that wiring where they sort of see a solution in three dimensions in space. But it always works out because they're great teachers and they know how to run a classroom. And so in a way, we're just adding another arrow to their quiver and another way they can engage with the students. Um, and it's been, it's been really, really satisfying. That's cool. I could imagine because, you know, one of the things that uh, is just so awesome about what you're talking about is that, you know, they're following directions and they're making something out of nothing and it and or following directions that tell them how to make something. And and what a cool sense of accomplishment. And if you watch those videos that are at the beginning of your on your home page or your website, I mean, is it the kids talking about what they made? And the second grader is awesome, by the way. <laughs> He's uh-huh. just, he's, Aaron, the, yeah, he's, he's got the, the light in his eyes that I built this. And, you know, what a cool thing. Could you just talk a little bit about that fallen directions and the skills involved in making something out of uh, this? Absolutely. Raw you know, it's funny. There's, uh, you know, an old perception is that is around gender. You know, it's for boys, it's for men. It doesn't matter. The wood doesn't care. If anything, you know, girls 
uh, often have more executive function. They're better at following instructions. But even still, it's not about, you know, being regimented. Like where we start is we've spent a lot of time developing emotional intelligence, helping kids understand how to work with others, how to ask for help, how to offer help, how to be mindful of their environment, how to be safe. You know, so we talk about getting their heads right. And it's really about those, that emotional intelligence and being self-aware and, and working as a team. Then we'd show how to use the tools right. And then we use our workbenches, which make it safe. Then we move on to skill builders. So they're, they're projects that are really about learning a skill, but they walk away with something. For example, we have a project we call String Art. And it's, it's taking a, a small one by six by, by five and a half inch long piece of wood and uh, drawing something on it, say your first initial. And, and so that would be S. So it'd be a big S on that piece of wood. And so they're learning how to use space and spatial adjustments. So I've seen kids that even though it's five and a half inches by five and a half, the letter is one inch tall. And, and so helping them understand that. Then using a hammer and nails to hammer a nail every inch or so uh, along the outline of that letter. And so they're really just learning how to use a hammer and how to operate in a cohort of people using tools. Then we move on to other skill builders. And eventually we move on to projects that have an order of operation. And yes, there is a wrong way to build it. And, and we have another rule that says something will go wrong. How you deal with it is what matters, right. you know, I teaching that, that resiliency. And, uh, and so we welcome all those mistakes as learning opportunities and, um, and further, the best part in my mind is when you get to understand the tools and understand a little bit about joinery. And then we have something we call scrap architecture, where kids get to build whatever they want. And also, we've written all our lesson plans, uh, both as a prescriptive step by step, as well as a design thinking approach, so that we can meet those next gen science standards, as well as really teach kids to use their creativity. Kids are incredibly creative. They have amazing solutions. And so it's a mixture of, of learning how to do it the right way and also uh, uh, how to solve a problem using tools as tools. You know, if you're a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. But if you know which tool to use, boy, you're in, you're in good shape. So, right. yeah, that's we it, it's it's and we, we focus on middle school because, it, you know, for a long time, like a hundred years ago, there was something called Sloyd in the United States. And it came out of uh, like Sweden and uh, Norway. And it was a movement around crafts and getting uh, youth involved in crafts. And they had woodworking, they had some textiles, and they might've had something else. And it was very popular, but then vocational training became much more about industrial, you know, and how do you make factory workers? And I fear, you know, with, you know, and I'm part of it, we're all part of it in, in society we went through a long period of prizing the mind, prizing white collar work and, and whatever the opposite of that is almost, you know, um, and, and deprioritizing working with one's hands. And so here we are, you know, 20 years after no child left behind and uh, nationally there's, you know, $1.7 million in student debt. Uh, there's a $1.6 trillion. So I say trillion, I meant trillion. There's also a, a $1.6 trillion uh, GDP deficit looming over the next 10 years due to a lack of skilled workers. 
we've got sixth graders who are thinking of dropping out of school. And the most incredible statistic I saw, which is from 2018, is 20% of students who graduate high school also make it through a four-year college program. 20%. So that means 80% are not. What happens to those 80%? Yet, yeah, as a as a you know, funding-wise, we have $165 billion towards, you know, four-year colleges and $1 billion towards CTE, career and technical education. So we're giving $165 billion to 20% of the of the population who's still graduating with a staggering amount of debt. Meanwhile, there's high five-figure jobs waiting for 19-year-olds. And so we're not trying to tell kids what to do, but we're just trying to make people aware that there's many options out there. And especially for the kid that's not good at sitting still, they've got gifts. They've got gifts that other kids don't have. We should celebrate those gifts that they have that other kids don't have and uh, and show that everyone has value. So, Mike, this is this is so cool. I mean, there's so many things that uh, um, just just come out of this, the idea of being able to use these tools. But I got to say this, working with tools is something that can scare parents. I mean, you know, you see these TV shows and they always show the shop teacher missing a couple fingers or something, you know, and, and they, they use that to threaten someone. Um, what do you see with kids when they use these tools? Sure, absolutely. Safety is a big concern. And when we were starting out, uh, in, we, were, uh, we had trouble making that argument. Now, happily, uh, statistically, uh, we've had thousands and thousands of kids go through the program. And uh, kids range. Um, we've had kids who are in behavioral programs, kids who are in self-contained classrooms, uh, from very wealthy schools, from very disadvantaged schools, all, all kinds of kids all across the country. And it is literally the occasional Band-Aid. And when I say occasional, like one Band-Aid a semester, uh, and big reason is that there's no power tools. So it's funny, even though I, I'll, I'll, I've maybe said it three times now, we, we don't use any power tools, only hand power tools. As a result, um, if someone drops a saw, they might get a cut, but it's a, it's a bandaid and they're back at work. But emotionally all hi, hi listeners emotionally, I think you're all still picturing a finger going into a table saw. But there is no table saw in our program. There is no band saw. There is no, you know, jointer, planer, router table. It is literally a block plane, which is razor sharp. But again, nobody's ever gotten a cut from that. And so it goes back to how we approach it. We, we teach mindfulness and being present and um, being purposeful and being resilient. Then we teach the tools. And then we've scaffold the skills where there's skill builders. There's a sawing practice. We call it tower blocks. It's kind of like Jenga blocks, but different, different enough for copyright purposes. And uh, when they make these tower blocks, they're learning how to use a combination square. They're learning what parallel means, what perpendicular means. They're learning how to saw straight. And it takes a lot of self presence. It's like learning a sport you know, how to swing a bat or how to kick a soccer ball, anything. It's the same thing. It's about footwork. It's about being present and practice. So we offer a lot of practice. And so again, 
just it's proven to be incredibly safe. And and another benefit, especially uh, these days, uh, post COVID, it's been very therapeutic. Getting to work with one's hands in a group is something that we as a species have been doing since, you know, we came off the savanna, right? And I get, I guess there's a Georgia joke in there as well, but <laughs> yes. we've, uh, we're, we're, we're wired to work in a team. And so we simply create an opportunity to work in a team using uh, real tools. And there's the smell of the pine that is so beautiful and it creates this emotional memory. Uh, I bet, hey, listeners, if you think back to seventh grade, I want you to try to remember any paper that you wrote. Okay. Now I'm going to guess a few of you could remember a paper you wrote. Now, for those of you who took shop class back then, I bet you can remember three things at least. One is the teacher. The other is how they scared you. And the third is something you made. And I bet almost all of you can not only remember those three things, but I bet a big percent of you still have what you made, right? So we're creating memories. We're creating lasting reminders of, of accomplishment, but we're doing it safely. We're doing it without fear. We're doing it in a more positive way. So we've, we've sort of fixed a couple of the problems that the old shop programs had. We're not trying to turn people into factory workers. You know, anything that can, like that's gonna be automated. So we're trying to teach people truly 21st century skills of critical thinking, of, of collaboration, of, of learning how to adjust, you know, design thinking, uh, and using real physical tactile things. So woodworking's messy. It, uh, it's organic. Sometimes there's a knot and those, those hardened sugars prevent you from hammering or the wood splits because it came from the center of the tree. So it keeps throwing curveballs, and those are great learning opportunities for kids to adjust and figure it out and deal with frustration. Uh, I've had kids in tears uh, occasionally because they're so frustrated, and then they persevere and they stick it out, and they're even more proud. And so it's really good to, to push kids to almost that, that edge of failure or let them fail you know, in a safe way, in a supported way, but let them fail, let them learn. Like it's okay to fail. Failure is learning. Failure is experimenting. Failure is growth. And, and I have to admit after, after writing that rule that says uh, something will go wrong, it, how you deal with it is what matters. It, it's changed my life. It's really changed my outlook on things. I used to be much more worried about something not working. And now I say, well, that didn't work. All right. How, what are we going to do different? How are we going to make it better next time? And so it really leads to a, a, a much a growth mindset. And, uh, and so it's funny, shop class has all these kind of secret meanings, secret learnings that we might not have appreciated. Again, because there was that one teacher missing half a finger who was scaring us. <laughs> and so we shut down, but uh, there's a lot to be gained. And, and it's something where we're on screen so much that we, we lose touch with, with the basics. And so even though it's a back to basics, it's still future oriented. It's, uh, it's something where uh, we can pick up the skills that we used to have more, more commonly. Uh, we're, we're making it more accessible. And in so doing, trying to help kids that might not feel confident about their academic potential, help them realize they have potential, 
help them realize there's a reason to stay in school. Uh, and in so doing, help them, uh, whether they go into the trades or not, uh, realize that they matter and they are smart and everyone's smart in a different way. Love it. I love it, love it, love it. Love it. It's so cool. And, you know, one of the things I keep thinking about is that, uh, what's that saying, uh, measure twice, cut once, or something like this. And they were, I mean, just learning how to measure and, and understanding what that means, you know, it, um, yeah. very cool. Um, you know, so let's talk, because you've been mentioning it, let's talk about the curriculum. You know, uh, had it, how young do you start? And, I mean, how long does this go? And I know it exists, we're going to talk in a little bit about the, the you know, kind of the differences you have a, um, a, a school program and you have a camp type of idea as other well sure ways. So, so we have we have um i guess there's uh four flavors we have four versions of our curriculum one's for career and technical education uh and that it it uh borrows from the carpenters union curriculum with their permission uh, another is for stem another is for camps and another is for special education and so there's a, a decent amount of overlap uh, among the four flavors. Uh, they all they all focus on the safety and and um, and presence and learning how to use tools correctly. But the STEM program, for example, is much more focused on meeting uh, NGSS Next Gen Science standards and and is a greater focus on uh, incorporating high and low technology. So, for example, we had one customer up in New Jersey who used a 3d printer so they said okay we've got these uh we're in a suburb it's sort of semi almost semi-rural uh we got a problem with some of these roads where it's it's unsafe to cross so students what should we do well okay we're going to develop flags that people can use that are you know uh reflective and they can cross the road okay cool where are we going to store them oh so then they developed holders boxes with lids with holes cut in them to hold the flags. And then they modeled that in 3D, uh, 3D software, but then they built it using our hand tools. And so it was a very design thinking approach and incorporating the high and low technology. The CTE, there's other tools, framing square, bevel gauge, uh, carpenter, a speed square. Uh, and so they're really learning skills and getting exposure to what working as a, a carpenter could be. We're about to add mill writing and uh, pile driving so they can get some more exposure into gears. And uh, around here, offshore wind is a huge industry and growing. So we're focused on that as well. Then with the camps, it's really about personal growth and having this aspirational arc of starting with a young child. Oh, and your question was how young? It can be as young as first grade. So That's we have cool. a number of elementary school programs running. Nice. the majority in the middle schools and some in the high schools. Um, and again, the focus is schools that don't have a CTE program and regret getting rid of it. And, and this way they can afford it. And it's like a rounding error. If you consider this versus building a building and the other building that used to be the shop room is now a computer lab or, or right. something else. Right. Um, then the camps are focused on, on development. So again, it's about what are fun projects that fit into our time frame uh, that progressively get more challenging so kids can develop. One, one, uh, and then the final version is the special education. And there it's much more about building uh, skill fluency 
So building up one skill, a second skill, a third skill, and I mean very discrete skills. Like, does this screwdriver match the screw head? Does this uh, bolt match this nut? And then putting those skills together so that we build up uh, larger routines. And uh, for example, the goal is to be able to assemble and disassemble an Ikea cabinet. So we recreated an Ikea style cabinet, but we made out of incredibly durable materials so that it could be torn apart and rebuilt a hundred times. So those are the four flavors, uh, CTE, STEM, camps, and special ed. And another kind of hidden facet of the curriculum is the peer mentoring. So uh, from a, a school, a charter school in downtown Brooklyn, New York, a teacher shared with us that she would elect a, a table ambassador. In our program, there's four ch- students to a table. And in the, invariably, one of those students is pacing ahead. And then they go up to the teacher afterwards and they say, I'm done. And now the teacher has to figure out how do I help this kid who's working ahead when I've got the other 15 kids who are not there yet. So this teacher had the great idea of making that student who's pacing ahead the table ambassador or table captain. And their job was now to help the other students at the table. And so suddenly this kid, this third grader, who was known for, you know, impulse control, not being good at sitting still, you know, the pattern, but you put a tool in their hand and they're shining and they're finally getting positive attention in a classroom. And, uh, and it was brilliant. It, the, the kid who would have otherwise, and all you listeners can imagine, would become a distraction, horse around, get negative attention. Now they're getting positive attention and they're bringing along all the other kids. And so the idea of now we, we train on that is the same way that you teachers already, uh, you know, have, you know, which kids to pair with which kids and put in the same group, but you know that someone's in charge of the group. And so it's the same concept, just at a table doing woodworking. That's been really amazing to see, uh, to give kids that sense of responsibility. And, and interestingly, the more, quote unquote, troubled the kid is, the, the more we see when you put a tool in their hands and trust them with the tool, again, after the safety training, et cetera, they rise to the challenge. And we also have rules around, you know, kind of zero tolerance towards horsing around, but it's, it's incredible. Uh, the teachers who implement this, they've got the classroom management skills and we're simply providing another way to apply them. And so it, it, it ends up being very safe and, and we're really pleased because, you know, uh, when the insurance companies look at it, they say, okay, no power tools, no problem. When the licensing board looks at it, they say no electricity, no certification. And, uh, when the parents hear about it, and they finally see it and realize, oh, that saw, okay, fine. It's not a table saw. It's not a drill press. It really is safe. So, uh, yes, so safety is at the core. And um, the curriculum, you know, re- is, is built around both the goal and also the duration. So one thing we're, we're putting together right now is a three-year plan for uh, middle schools. So in sixth grade, you could do these projects, seventh grade, you do another series, eighth grade, kind of a capstone project at the end and creating opportunities for the eighth graders to then mentor the sixth graders and so they can get some leadership experience as well. So we're really just thinking about the whole child 
and, and woodworking is the medium. So it, we talk about woodworking, but it's really just the vehicle to help a, a, a child discover their identity, discover their self-worth, and uh, discover a talent that they never knew they had, this intelligence in their hands. Love it. That is so awesome. It really is. And it, it it's just, uh, it's encouraging too. I mean, it's like, uh, because so much, you know, there's so many of us get stuck, including teachers, end up, uh, you know, sitting um, at a desk behind a computer um, for part of their day. And as a teacher, you, you shouldn't be sitting that long, but uh, at some point you probably find yourself, but no matter what, you're not engaged with tools. So the teachers involved in this and so forth, uh, I can imagine that it's very popular with them. And, that, and it leads me to this. So I got to ask you, can you, uh, Mike, can you talk a little bit about what the difference between a camp and a school program would be like? Sure. Uh, the biggest difference between a camp and a school program is that with the school programs, we've oriented around standards so that a school can justify the purchase. Uh, the camps don't care about standards. The camps care about if it's fun and engaging. And so for schools, when we started out, it was, it was largely clubs, after-school clubs, and they wanted to offer a really fun activity. And as over the years, we've gotten more sophisticated and we realize, wow, we could actually do this during the school day. And so now more and more of the programs that we start are, are during the school day. They're not after school. We have one uh, school uh, down on the shore in, in Long Branch, New Jersey, and they're running at six periods a day. So you've got a teacher, all they're doing, just like a Spanish teacher, all they're doing is woodworking. Six periods a day, 20 kids a period, uh, for a semester. And so they're a very intensive program, uh, for camps. Again, it was about how do we fit into, we have 30 minute periods. We have 60 minute periods. How do we have different projects for young kids versus old kids? So the schools, uh, what's nice is that the program in its organic form fit almost every need. Uh, but we wanted to help people that had very specific goals so, for example, with schools, we offer a service where we can run surveys and show the lift in um, uh, developmental skills, uh, math skills. Um, and we have one school so far that is going to track which days they offer woodworking and which days they won't. And they're going to measure attendance and behavioral issues. So we can be much more targeted with our school programs in terms of what's the, what's the problem schools trying to solve for? And then how can we act as a, a, a part of that solution? Whereas camps, you know what, if it's fun and it fits on the bus going home, then that's a win. <laughs> Love it. That's, that's so cool. Uh, you know, and I've heard you touch on this just a little bit, but one of the things that, uh, um, your program seems to fit nicely with steam and, uh, um, no matter what those initiatives look like in those schools. I mean, can you talk just a little bit about how you fit well with the STEAM, STEM type of uh, programs in schools? Sure. So regarding STEAM and STEM in schools, uh, we joke that woodworking was the original STEM project. You know, people, again, mental image. People, when they think STEM, they think 3D printers. They think, um, you know, I don't know, robots etc. Uh, but we focus on what are the engineering skills 
you know, how do you take a drawing and whether it's a 3D rendering or it's on paper, and then how do you envision that in three dimensions? How do you go through that design process where you might be prototyping it with cardboard or construction paper? And then how do you think about it in terms of real materials when wood, this organic wood that splits and cracks and doesn't quite work the way you want, it has a grain. Uh, I learned recently that uh, medical schools used to use wood because it mimics bone. I didn't realize bone has grain as well, a grain direction. And That's so uh, it, it's a real world material. And uh, I've also learned from architects, a lot of architects graduate these days and understand how to design something, but they have no idea about the physical properties and, uh, and what is possible. And it doesn't, and it, it's meant to be liberating. You can, you can design more interesting things if you understand how your materials work. So we're teaching material science, we're teaching design thinking, we're teaching um, an iterative approach towards problem solving and reflection. We're even teaching how to present one's findings. We're teaching how to work in a group. So when, you know, dear listeners, when you think about this, uh, A, I'd, I'd love to know what we're missing. Um, but I hope that it, you're thinking, huh, this is something that uh, it meets what we're trying to do with our, with our STEM program. And again, there's that smell. There's that aroma of pine that is really uh, powerful and beautiful. And, um, and it's just something different. And a big difference is that with many of our projects, they're make and take. So the student will make it, take it home, and they have it. We also have a, a number of projects where it's a make and give, where it could be a flower planter and they can donate it to the school. You can have fundraisers or it's a bench that could live at the school or the camp. And so it can be something where there's a, a, a real community aspect as well. So uh, we're not, you know, one or the other. I, I think, trust me, I think high skill, uh, understanding technology, understanding data, understanding computers is incredibly important. Uh, that is an essential life skill. At the same time, understanding how things work mechanically is another essential life skill. And why choose? Why not have both? I love it. This is so cool. Because you're right. You're right. And, you know, a bunch of years ago, they in many communities, that mistake was made that eliminated programs that helped teach these skills and uh, engaged the kids in the way that uh, your program does. And and that brings me to this. I mean, I would think that kids who are engaged in, in uh, woodworking and such like that would have better attendance. What do you think? Yes, I agree. I think I think having a, a, a class for the kids who might not consider coming to school is always a good idea. I mean, when, <laughs> I, when you say it like that, it sounds kind of obvious. In, in one school district, and we've heard this from a couple anecdotally, now we're going to prove it statistically, that she mentioned kids would, would show up and ask, is it woodworking day? And that she believed that woodworking, our, our program was increasing attendance. So it's definitely a, a huge carrot that schools can use uh, just to, to attend. And, and in the background, it's like the spoonful of sugar and kids are getting all these lessons. You know, you think about woodworking, it's all unit measurement. You cannot do woodworking without unit measurement. Even if you're just horsing around trying to make some scrap of texture, you need to figure out how things work. And you need to understand the grain direction and if something is big enough to be strong. And so, uh, it, it's a very organic 
you know, I guess pun intended, way to develop a lot of engineering skills as well as, uh, you know, uh, 21st century learning skills. So, yeah, definitely on the attendance, on the behavioral, when you put a tool in a child's hand and treat them with respect, they react well. They almost invariably, they rise to the challenge. And, um, and so we have one school that we're starting up this fall and it's uh, like a, a court mandated school where they get sent in Ohio and, and their main focus is we're going to start with the emotional skills that they want to develop and then work backwards. Those are the outputs. I want to see a lift in, uh, you know, emotional regulation and, and we're going to work backwards from those and show how uh, using certain tools, developing certain mechanical skills can lead towards that. So it's, it's surprisingly flexible. Isn't that funny? And, it, and, it's, and I'm a little sad to say this, but we're the biggest provider in the country, even though we're not that big, because everyone has exited the market. Everyone is on ed tech and different ways to use screens, which some of which are brilliant. I, I love math that adjusts to the student. I think it's a brilliant concept. At the same time, uh, there's very, very few companies focused on the tactile learner. And so that's the void we're looking to fill. Our, our vision is to help 300,000 students by 2027. And so we're looking to scale uh, massively. Uh, we're developing good processes inside our own company so that we can help more and more schools. We're developing data sets so we can help schools compare against others and understand what a, a, a normal lift looks like by implementing this program, what they can expect. Because in our world, we have to make financial arguments and we have to make data-driven arguments to justify spending. And so we want to uh, use that currency, use that, that language to, to help the administrators prove the value. Uh, so it's all very... But again, we're mission-driven, uh, for-profit, and uh, very excited to help any of your listeners uh, implement this in their schools. This is excellent. I love it. And, I, and it, this is, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is right here, which is um, what you just led into, which is how, how does a school or school system or a teacher get uh, one of these programs started, whether it's uh, the full-blown program or it's a camp or, I mean, how do they, get, how do they just say, hey, I want to know more? Sure. So for anyone who's interested, uh, please go to maplewoodshop.com and there you'll very quickly find a form where you could uh, share a little bit about your goals and yourself and we will be in touch very soon and we will work with you to uh, achieve those goals and both qualitatively and quantitatively. And whether your goal is to help kids discover the trades whether your goal is to help kids uh, have a different way to learn design thinking, whether your goal is to have kids just have a fun club and a outlet and a, you know, way, a therapeutic way to have a good time and learn some things, or whether your goal is to help uh, special education students learn life skills for independent living, we would, we're eager to help you, eager to help. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. And uh, um, just as a note, Mike, um, they, uh, I, I know you've mentioned the website. I'm going to ask you to do that again because I'll put them in the show notes. So um, where can they reach out just to find out more information? Yes, uh, please go to www.maplewoodshop.com, all one word, maplewoodshop.com. 
and you'll uh, can learn more about our program, see some videos, and click a contact us button. Tell us a little bit about your goals, and we'll be in touch to help you out. Excellent, excellent. I'll have all that information in my show notes, so you can whether it's a laptop, desktop, or uh, mobile, you can uh, easily find those links and go straight to uh, Maplewood Shop. So uh, um, make sure you do that. So uh, I got two other questions I want to ask you, Mike, and they go like sure. this. The first one is, you know, how do you keep going when there's so much going on that you may want to quit? Ooh, how do I keep going? You know, it, well, first of all, thank you for asking that question. That's a, that's a great question. I think what keeps me going is I used to worry a lot more about me. And now I, I think a lot more about how do how are we going to help 300,000 kids in the next five years? That's a big number. That sure is. And so it helps me get over myself. I'm the vessel. And this idea, I'm grateful that I was able to invent this workbench and reinvent uh, a woodworking program made for today's needs. Uh, and beyond that, at this point, I'm focused on uh, how can I be a good leader uh, and manager to our team? We have eight people and uh, giving people clear goals and direction and then getting out of the way. And so that this program can scale well beyond what I know so that we can replicate successes across the country. It's awesome. Is there one it. last question or no? Yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. So All we're going right. we'll to give it a shot. Um, so, so Mike, uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? And if, if you do, um, if you got a chance to say thank you, what would you say and who would it be? Well, I remember Mrs. Goddard from first grade and she taught me kindness and I am grateful for that. And the first person I thought of was, huh, it's probably in high school. And it was, um, I'm blanking on his name, but he was a science teacher. And he also led a winter camping trip in northern Minnesota. I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota. And he would lead this winter camping trip. And it was a really amazing experience. So he was a great science teacher. And he... Uh, was a great human. Uh, still, he still is a great human. Uh, and I remember that experience really fondly. It was, a, it, was a, it was a great learning experience. And it was with other people in the school, but it was a mixture of ninth through 12th graders of all different, you know, the cool kids and the athletic kids, and me, and, uh, and, and it was just, and everyone banded together and it erased all kind of divisions within the, within the group. Because we all had to, you know, if you're winter camping in Minnesota, you don't have time for petty stuff. <laughs> so, yep, uh, those are a couple teachers. And, yeah, teachers, thank you. Uh, you do so much. Uh, I, there's a lot going on, a lot of challenges, but grateful for everything you do. And, and hopefully, if you can use our program, you can enjoy it as well. And you can borrow some things to bring home and work on more stuff. <laughs> I love it. And it, it, what a cool thing you are. Right. I can imagine that if you're, if you're doing, if you're camping in uh, Minnesota, first of all, Minnesota and like warm evenings doesn't kind of go together, even though they, they have multiple seasons there. I can't imagine. Well, there's six weeks of warm evenings. Yeah. 
<laughs> nice, nice, nice. So that would be another those challenges. But yeah, cool stuff. Uh, Mike, it's awesome talking with you today. Maple Woodshop is is just incredible and, and nothing like teaching kids the skills associated with work, woodworking. And But it goes far beyond that, which is so cool. The math and social skills and all kinds of other, other good, awesome things right there. Uh, thank you for sharing and wishing the best in all you do. Thank you, Stephen, for, for this opportunity and for all you're doing for the state of Georgia. Really, it's incredible and appreciate it. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.